Good morning, good afternoon, and good night, wherever you're tuning in. We are Slava and Jonathan, bringing you the SideQuest Podcast, where we talk about character development, stories, and all things that are world-building. And we occasionally take side quests, because, frankly, that's how conversations work. Just as a reminder, this whole show is spoiler-heavy. So, sit back, tune in, and join us on this episode of SideQuest. Good evening, Slava. Jonathan, it is a good evening, isn't it? Coming at you from the world of Cradle. Back at it again. Back at it again. I'm very happy to have caught up with Yaren. <laughs> Just Yaren, And, huh? and Lyndon. And no, no, no. Lyndon. It's okay. You can be honest. We know you don't really like Lyndon. But not the thing yet. is, he's not really a sniveler. He's just weak. Did I call him a sniveler in the past episode? No, no, no. But we all know you don't like snivelers. And being weak, he has to use false humility to his advantage. Although... Fair enough. I think, I think that, he overdoes it. Well, I mean, when you're, so, when you're the weakest person for 10,000 square miles and children can beat you up, even though you're like 18, I mean... You kind of got to... He's 18. I think he's 16. I don't really remember. Well, same. Yeah, I suppose. But if an eight-year-old can beat stays. you up because of their power level, I mean, you don't really get to have an ego. Fair enough. So This one's just... still annoyed. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, before we before I still we dive like in... it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like yeah. the book. Before we dive into Cradle, what have you been learning this week? Well, I've been reading a book you suggested. Surprise, surprise. Classic classic jonathan it's called talk to me by dean nelson who's a journalist and has been the journalist you know for the last i think four decades sounds right he talks about the process of the interview like the craft the science and art of the interview in his book and for the sake of brevity the thing that stood out to me this week is the importance of asking open-ended questions now, I think I ask pretty good, detailed questions to get to the bottom of a thing, whatever that thing is, to the, the bottom of an issue, to find out a particular piece of d- data or datum. I'm good at that. But what I realized in listening to this audio book is I need to do better at asking open-ended questions. That doesn't necessarily translate to our podcast. But it kind of does. Kind of does. In the right moment, I don't need to zero in on a particular piece of datum or a point. Sometimes it's good, especially when we have guests, sometimes it's good to ask open-ended questions and in such a way that you still get at the point you're trying to elicit from your guest, but you let him or her go on for a few more sentences or a few more thoughts, and it gives... You know, when Dean, the author says, a little bit more breath and breath uh, to the answer and maybe humanizes the person you're you're interviewing. So that's a a brief summary of what I learned this week. One of the things I really liked about that book was his passion for finding the humanity in every story. Yeah. And his comparison of... You know, well, I could take this like clickbait angle on whatever story example that he gives, but 
I don't want to be like everybody else. Um, I want to I want to find the humanity of the situation. So it was a really good read. And and if you want to learn how to have better conversations across the board, even though this is written by a uh, a reporter and a journalist, I I thought it was really insightful. He's a good storyteller, and the nar- narrator does a good job. Also, I think yeah. he might be actually reading his own book. So either way, it's a it's a good read. I don't think it was the same reader. I thought it was somebody different. Nah, I don't know. I don't pay attention to that. Unless the narrator is a complete, you know, jack wagon, then I'll I'll make a note never to buy a book with him as a narrator. But normally I'm like, all right, narration's good. We're we're plowing through this. Fair enough. What has Jonathan been learning this week? Jonathan has been working on his MBA and he is behind again. We're learning large uh financial models and it is interesting and I, I really enjoy the contact the content, but I'm learning that it's just being an adult is boring when you're really trying to grow and, and progress. And although we don't see it in Lyndon's story, I feel like there's moments where he's just like, okay, I got to put some more reps in, you know, like every day that I get up, it's I get up, I make some coffee, I work, and then I finish work, and then I do my MBA. And some like tonight, I was going to work on my MBA before this, but there's a bunch of birds in the area, and so my car has bird crap on it, and bird crap is acidic and it will tear up your paint. And so I've been wanting to get a car wash, tried to go last night, couldn't because I literally have, you know, I work till like 6 or 6.30 every night, and then by the time that you do some sort of small break, even running an errand to the car wash and the grocery store, maybe I stopped for Froyo, but it's 9 o'clock by the time that I get home, and... <laughs> It's like, okay, well, I'm going to record a podcast, and then after that, I'm going to put another hour into my MBA and try and get caught up. So uh, yeah. MBA stuff, content's great. Just where does the time go? Yeah, yeah. even today, I, you know, I'm lucky enough to work banker's hours probably 80% of the year. But even with banker's hours, a 20-minute break, I'm not like sitting around watching TV for four hours getting right into the housework, whatever that is, you, you know, you, for me, it's usually making dinner and, you know, getting the grill ready and then doing odds and ends around the house or preparing for this podcast, reading right. books or recording this podcast. So I don't have a lot to do, a lot less than obviously you do. And still, still, I turn around and I'm like, it's 8.15. I have to record in a half an hour. And I'm just finishing dinner. Yeah. How is this possible? Yeah. Literally, I came home around 5.30, 5 o'clock bus, 5.45 I was home. At 6 o'clock or 6.10, I was already making dinner, prepping the stuff. My wife just walked the dog. I said, all right, I need you to make the rice. I use her as my sous chef. We're doing the things we're supposed to do. I cleaned up the kitchen, steak on the grill. We're talking. I turn on some music. I'm like, wait a minute. It's 8.15. How is it 8.15? Steaks take nine minutes to cook on each side if they're thick. Mine was a skirt steak, five minutes on each side. So I'm like, that's a quick dinner I'll eat, and then I'll have an hour to play a video game and kind of get into <laughs> the mode and get into the mode of, of recording this podcast. Yeah. And nope, no video game, no, no getting into any modes. It's I gotta talk to Jonathan in exactly 14 and a half minutes. Yeah. The so, the, the world the time flies. It's Oof. it's nuts. 
I think I mentioned this before, but been hassling my girlfriend about her time management because time management with the new career that she's getting into is like deeply important. And I mean, hearing your schedule, knowing my schedule, it's like time management. Time management is how you get paid better. I mean, if you're going to really break it down, like, yeah, there's levels of competence in like whatever skill you're providing, but you need to, your time management has to be pristine. You got to, you know, show up on time, be prepared for your meetings, know exactly what you're going to be talking about, have the right questions. And then when you go home, sometimes you got to do extra work about these things because like there's only so much time in a day. And if you have a dozen meetings, like you don't have time to actually do work, which sometimes happens to me where it's like, cool. Our meetings are done, but I still have work to do because I need to do the work that I was supposed to do during the day. But instead, we were having meetings. It's just wild. Like time is crazy. And then you have to always the you know the other side of that. And I'm not going to say coin because it's not like a it's not a refutation of your point. It's just the other side of this cube, right? This is multifaceted. The other time, cube that, the other side of the continuum. The other space, side of the continuum, exactly. Space time continuum is sometimes you have to just tell work to go pound salt. Nobody owns your life. I don't care if you pay me a million dollars an hour, you know, or a million. Let's let's make it realistic. Half a mil, six hundred thousand, some exorbitant amount for a for marketing gig for the for year. A year for a marketing gig, right? Sure, yeah. Well, I, yeah, there's probably a lot more expected from me than the guy who is entry level making seventy two, right? And that's fair. More responsibility, uh, more responsibility, more time on call. It's 11.5 grand a week. Yeah. So you have more responsibilities. You're more likely to be on call. But at some point, you can take your 600,000 and shove it up your ass. You don't own my life. You might have had 10 meetings, right, in the day. Yeah, that cut out a lot of time for you to do your work. Guess what, buddy? That's your boss's problem. Now you can be you can be and you should be responsible and you should do extra work outside if it is absolutely necessary, in my yeah. opinion. But they don't owe you. Like manage your day better. Have have two meetings a day instead of ten on Wednesday. Yeah. You don't owe me. I, I, we have a contract. <laughs> I might be I might be a good guy and go above and beyond, and I think that's honorable. Maybe that's too strong of a word, but I think that's that's sometimes no, necessary. A good word. Yeah. I, th- I think that's sometimes necessary because. It is. And if you want to go above and beyond, I think it's fair. I have a big conference coming up and tomorrow's my day off. I'm just going to still take an hour of the day to make, to meet about the conference because get what, guess what? I'm the lead for it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I will not be answering emails when I'm at the beach the following day. You're a better man than me. You're a better man than me. Listen, I have really good bosses and I know they have my back and they have really good boundaries and they even asked me three times, you sure you're going to call in for this? I'm like, yeah, I have to because I'm the lead and I'm okay with doing that. Anyway, I am taking us off on weird tangents. Let's do the episode instead. Yeah, let's do this episode. But before we dive in, be sure to click the subscribe button on your favorite podcast platform so that you can stay up to date on all of the episodes and these weird rants. Um, also, Feel free to dive into the comments section and go, hey, I used to work a job like that, or I've never worked a job like that. I show up at Starbucks, I make my coffees, and then I leave. Good for you. Let's talk about it. Anyway. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to dive into a summary of Soul Smith real quick, and then I want you to give us kind of a quick, uh, you spent some time researching. 
Will White and the world. And so we'll dive into that and then we'll get back into themes. So we're reading Soul Smith. It's a 1920, if you count the like epilogue and the bloopers and stuff, 22 chapter book. Pretty quick, pretty swift. We're back on Cradle. We're following Lyndon as he's trying to progress. He has made it to Copper. Dun, da, 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 which has absolutely blown his little mind or big mind because he's kind of older than you should be when you re, uh, achieve Copper. He's still traveling with Yaren and kind of expecting her to leave at any moment because she doesn't really have a reason to stay with him. And also, Yaren is not talking about this unwelcome guest that she has. Uh, we only get a couple glimpses of that, but she's got some sort of red ribbon around her waist, and we don't really know a whole lot about it yet. But because Lyndon has split his core in two, and he's kind of journaling this Heart of Twin Stars path, he's going to try and get Yaren to teach him her sword style, which would be pretty cool if Lyndon starts using a sword. But they're over in the... Oh, I'm forgetting the name of the city that they're in. Um, Slava, where are they at? They're, they're in the Desolate Wilds. Desolate Wilds, right? Yep. Yep, Desolate Wilds. Uh, it just takes me a second sometimes because I've got so many books in my brain. Because I'm cultured and you should be thinking of me holding my pinky out while I sip something right now because that's what I'm doing. Like Kermit the Frog. Um, <laughs> um, I think you're mixing up memes, but no, that's Kermit, the way it's supposed to be. Kermit does the tea thing. He like looks over and then he's like, but that's uh, none of my business. Yes. Never um, mind. Yes. A- anyway, I mean. I just don't imagine him having a pinky. Well, that's true. Frogs don't really. Anyway. So there's a full clan-on-clan clash in the streets between the Jai clan, who's going to get a little more play here as the book progresses and in the next book, and the Fishers, specifically Fisher Gesha, who happens to be a soulsmith, just like Lyndon's mom was. But during this fight, and we kind of see this a little bit as well in a couple earlier chapters, there's a character floating around with like blonde hair, who we learn is named Ethan, and he's just watching these things take place. So he's up to something, but we don't really know what. Um, and thankfully, we'll get a little bit more of that as the book progresses. But uh, after that run-in, Lyndon tries to convince Fisher Gesha to train him in soulsmithing. And she's not really interested, and she's pretty gruff around the edges, uh, per Slava's preferences. She's uh, just a grumpy old lady who <laughs> just tells everybody to bugger off. But Yaren kind of makes a deal with her to collect bounties and remnants to pay her so that Lyndon can be trained, uh, which she doesn't have to do, which makes us like Yaren. Um, when suddenly, dun, dun, Lyndon is captured out from underneath Fisher Gesha's watchful eye, even though she doesn't really claim him as her own. So uh, we'll see how that plays out. But that is the current summary of Soulsmith right now. So, yep. why don't you, Slava, tell us about the author and the world a little bit? Right. So, I don't think we covered this in our last we Cradle didn't. episodes. I don't think we did. So, that's why I went on a little hunt uh, of Will White. A little gooseberry chase? Yeah, something like that. So, Will White, known as William Lawrence White III, he's an American fantasy literature author best known for Cradle series. Wow. Uh, which <laughs> I know, mind boggling. Uh, which has topped 
uh, Amazon and New York Times bestsellers. I sound like I'm doing an infomercial, but he's done that, and that's great for him. He's, he's younger he began... than us. Oh, I hate him. He's 33. That can't be right. This wasn't updated. I'm 35. He was born in 89. He should be... Oh, no. He'll be 34. It's his birthday in two days. Happy birthday, Will. That's why the math didn't add up. Happy birthday, Will. All right. How's the NBA going? You're learning numbers? Big big numbers? (laughs) Right. So this young whippersnapper has been publishing since 2013 when he was, I don't know math either, when he was 30, 22, 22, 21. What, in his early 20s. He's won a few awards for his self-published books, including something called the Stabby Award, which is something you get for a self-published or independent novel. Sounds up your alley. Yes, the Stabby part. Right. So the next part, don't quote me on this. Take it with a grain of salt. I found it in my research, but whatever. So Will apparently draws his inspiration from some Hain Haya and Wu Haya literature. Is is an X in Chinese an H sound? Hain Haya and Wu, Wu Haya? Probably. Because I thought it was a Z sound. Zain Zaya and Wu Zaya? I thought so. I mean, because X in, in Spanish is like an H sound, but I thought Chinese it was different. Well, you know what? Tell us in the comments. Yep. So, he draws his inspiration from Chinese literature, and that's why this feels like, you know, progression fantasy or progression anime. That's why this has more of a Asian feel to it. Like, when you're reading this, it sounds Eastern. Yeah. For lack of a better term. Yep. So, something that I thought was interesting is this is from the scouring of his blog. So this, I am confident in saying, all of Will White's novels take place in the same multiverse. Now, you guys have to go to the comments where he responds to people's questions to get this information. All of his novels, according to Will, in the comments, take place in the same same multiverse, but in different universes known as iterations. Yeah, that's interesting. So you told me that just before the episode started, and I was like, I don't think that that's real. And then you promptly showed me that it was real, and I was like, oh, okay. I didn't know that. I mean, I've I've only been following Will for four or five years. So the Cradle series was on, Ghostwater was already out, and then every other book I've been present for the release of. But I haven't necessarily dove into the details of his author career the way that I have with, like, Sanderson. Right, well, that's why you have me. True. Now you can tell people that you're a real fan of Will White. You'll be like, hey, did you know that Will White's books all take place in the same multiverse? So I wasn't a fan before. Got it. Thanks. Yeah. Appreciated it. Well, I'm just saying, you're as big of a fan of Will White as you are of Sanderson. Now I am. As established in episode well, 12. here's the thing. I'm actually not because I've only read the Full Cradle series and the Traveler's Gate series. I haven't read Elder Empire at the moment. How many books is that? Uh, Six, I think. Because okay. there's the Shadow books and then there's the Sea books. It's on my list, but I just haven't gotten to it yet. 
And uh, I mean, we could add it to the list and just kind of like, well, we don't know what's going to happen, and just another one of those, uh, those style things. Yeah. Anyway, no, we'll 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 figure it out for sure. Let's see what's next. Okay, one more point about Will White and the Kratos series. I think will be interesting. The genesis of the Cradle series was planned to be like a free web serial to maintain reader interest. Yeah. According to him. him. And he was writing another book, probably one of the books you read or not read. Probably Uh, Traveler's Gate. Yeah. He experimented with a mailing list for his short stories, very 90s, to continue writing. So he wanted to build this world, right? Then he faced some financial challenges in 2015. And Soul Smith was born out of a need to satisfy readers while working on another project. So he's he was doing, I think, what I got from it. And again, this is a blog. This is an old blog. I'm reading some of the long-form blogs and reading the comments, this is what I sort of got out of it. So, Will, sorry if I am off topic or not, not saying it right, but he was working on a few different projects. Soulsmith, he was forced to write to satisfy reader demand, and he was working on something else. And somewhere around there, he decided to self-publish and put this out, and the Cradle series took off, from my understanding of what I researched. So that, in a few minutes, is the author Will White and how we come to know and have Cradle and Linden and the rest of them. So it's interesting to me that people still try and do serial stories. So there's one really popular one that we have, I think, mentioned before but never dove into called Worm. It's a complete web serial that is finished now but was released snippet by snippet. And then last episode, we also learned from Chris that Dune was originally released as a serial. So I'm wondering if there's going to be a resurgence of people releasing serial content little by little to grow their grow their audience bases. I think when you release as a serial, you have to be snappier and quicker with your writing and you don't have time for long drawn out plot moments because you need people to want the hook for the next iterate. I want to say iteration, but the next release. Yeah, no, it makes sense. And I actually enjoy it. There's, there's a thing to be said for being able to binge watch 17 episodes in a weekend. I like that too. And I'm not apologizing for it, but, There's also something to be said for anticipation, right? Yes. I remember when there was a to-be-continued episode. You had to wait a whole week to find out what happened, and it was kind of cool. Yeah, I remember to-be-continued episodes. What was really frustrating, though, if they did a to-be-continued and then they didn't release the next one the next week, they went back to reruns. That was super frustrating. I think that happened once to me. Once? Happened to me a dozen times, if not more. Maybe your state had bad TV. What words did you just say? You know what? It's just one of those nights. I'm just gonna apparently just chalk it up. Ch- chalk it up to that. Chalk, chalk it, chalk it, chalk it. All right. Well, let's dive into some of the themes that we've seen here with Lyndon and Yaren and the Cradle series so far. We here's a here's just a quick list of the themes that Slav and I were looking at in the readings that we've done so far of Cradle, and that's human limitations and ascension, trust or relying on friends or others, and honor and dishonor, order and balance, ingenuity, and suffering or dealing with what fate deals to you. Now, in the last 
and I haven't listened to it since we recorded it and put it out. But what I'm remembering is we really covered the suffering one. So we're going to skip that one because it's kind of blatant and dive into something a little more, I think, robust with human limitations and ascension. So you mentioned David Goggins earlier and your pure disdain for the man. But I think that you'd actually really enjoy him if you read his two books um, that he no, wrote listen, while he was, was that he was, I was you know, wrote while he was jogging. Yeah, I was a uh, was hyperbole on purpose to make a point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, I think David Goggins and how he ascended, yep. you know, his limitations is great. What I was mad about is those trying to emulate David Goggins and perpetuate this culture of there's no human limits. All you have to do is just get up at five in the morning, do 500 push-ups, and you'll be a millionaire if you open up an LLC. I digress, but... So, human limitations and ascension. When when we saw this as a theme, instantly, I remembered a quote from a famous 21st century philosopher. How much can you really know about yourself if you've never been in a fight? Tyler Durden, Fight Club. <laughs> which i think is kind of got a, like a double meaning here because this is yeah. cradle and it's like a martial arts book series but also you know when we're talking about human limitations the thing about limitations is you don't you're you're starting at limitation like wherever you're at you're at you're at a form of limitation for all the things you haven't tried if you haven't tried skydiving if you haven't tried being in a real fight on the street if you haven't been accosted and like mugged, shout out to Locke Lamora, which I want to get us to read. You know, all of the experiences in life that you haven't had yet, maybe it's heartbreak or betrayal. Maybe you never had a toxic family growing up, like whatever the case may be. You should try a toxic family. Broaden your horizons, Jonathan. How would you like an abusive mother that gaslights you? Oh, maybe a bad example. The idea here is that you as a human are limited in some capacity, if not most capacities, that you have not been putting experience into, time and time and, and yourself into. So, like, if you don't go to the gym, then you have a human limitation of the amount of weight that you can lift or the movement of your body if you don't stretch, et cetera, et cetera. And we see this regularly with Lyndon, who's constantly wanting to exceed his limitation in book one. And he's like, man, it'd really be nice to have any sort of power because he's been the weakest person for, I think he leaves Sacred Valley at 16. That sounds about right. He's been the weakest person after the age of six or seven in his entire life. I mean, it's not just up to six and seven. It's actually after because it's at eight. that point. Well, yeah. So there's like eight year olds who can beat him up. Well, what I'm getting at wasn't that test, the the bull test. Yeah. It done at eight when the eight-year-olds come out that's when you get your yes but they did it again for him a few times and before that so like okay they waited till he was eight but even before he was eight he's still the weakest person yeah because he's he's just one of the children so he's been the weakest being in his entire purview his entire world for his entire life until he met yaren well he's still the weakest person so meeting yaren doesn't change that at the moment but she did help him exceed his limitation and i guess all this rambling is to to point to someone like goggins where no one thinks that you can do more than whatever the top guy did i think it's usain bolt who originally uh ran a was it a four minute mile 
Is that right? Oh, I forget the details of that. But when somebody broke the four minute mile, people were like, oh my God, I didn't know it was possible. And then shortly after, people were like, oh shit, I can do this. And they went and they exceeded that person. So human limitation is almost unlimited, even though I know you have a qualm with pop psychology, pop entrepreneurs, I guess I'll call them. I do. I do because I think it's all smoke and mirrors. It's no different than. You know, it slices, it dices, it scratches your back, you can shave with it. Is it $9.99? No, it's three easy payments of $4.99. It's the same thing, only with self-help cliche nonsense. Now, should you work out? Yes. Should you pursue your dreams? Yes. Should you work hard? Absolutely. Should you try to exceed your limitations? 100%. Does that mean that you have to wake up at 5 in the morning, do 500 push-ups, run two LLCs, flip houses on the side, and then, you know, drink boiled water with lemon juice? Gatorade. To... Lemon juice? What are those? Lemon juice? I have no idea. They're, uh... I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say it. Okay. Yeah, so that, that is nonsense. Now, if somebody like Goggins accomplishing what he accomplished, I think that's great. And if that gives somebody the impetus to do better, to excel or to change themselves, great. Not everybody has to be David Goggins. That's it. No, no. No, no, no. Even Goggins says that. And if somebody doesn't do what David Goggins did, it does not elevate Goggins to some kind of superhuman or a better person. That's something that somebody's achieved and they succeeded at doing that. And that's great. But you can be an average Joe and live a fulfilling life. Now, I don't want to be an average Joe, but I would never look at that guy next to me and say, well, he doesn't have a podcast. He doesn't work in marketing. He doesn't read you know, the amount of books I read per month or whatever. He doesn't research the same stuff. Like, I can't believe he never read Popular Mechanics. I, I mentioned on a, on a <laughs> previous episode that yeah, yeah, I nerd yeah. out on some science stuff. I can't believe he doesn't do it. Everybody should nerd out on science stuff because that's how you become a well-rounded individual. That stuff drives <laughs> me up the wall. The pop psychology so drives me up the wall because it's all garbage. So your your qualm is actually putting limitations on other humans, not human limitation itself. Right. Oh yeah. Right. So that's interesting. So let's let's talk about the ascension part here for a second because I don't think that ascension is possible. Getting back, I looked it up. The guy who broke the four minute mile originally was an English person named Roger Bannister in Oxford. He was 25. Before that, the person who had the quickest mile was Gunder Hogg of Sweden in 1945. This guy broke the record in the 1950s, I think. I'm just trying to like skim here quickly, but I'll just commit to 50s. And if I'm wrong, you can let me know in the comments. But the only way that we discover our limits is by trying things. But the only way that we ascend is by dedicating ourselves to achieving more. So you only find your limits by kind of fumbling around in the darkness trying stuff. If I walk into the gym, I've never been to the gym before, and I try and pick up a 200-pound dumbbell, I'm not going to be able to pick it up. I have learned a limit. However, at that moment, I can see down the horizon and go, you know what? I'm going to dedicate myself. I'm going to find a way that I can pick that up. And then I'm going to go again and again and again. And I'm going to choose to walk the path of ascension to overcome my limitation. But it's only by understanding that we have limits in specific areas that we can choose to ascend. 
which requires foresight and vision. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think Lyndon, as weak as he is, might give him more of the drive because he does not want to be weak. He does not want to stay in the rut that he's in. He wants to be stronger. He wants to be stronger. He wants to be able to do what the other kids are doing. It sounds silly, but he, but it is kind of the same. It's true. When he was a kid, he wanted to be able to do what the other kids were doing. Now he's a teen. He wants to be able to live a normal life. And in the context of his world, a normal life means to be able to be a sacred Sacred artist. artist. And in our world, it could be a myriad of things, right? Learning how to sell, learning how to do research papers better. It could be something as simple as those things or starting a business. Like the whole thing that I was learning how to, to, to grow your learning podcast, how to grow your podcast. You know, to just to pick, pick a random, R- random topic out non, of the blue, not related to anything that we're doing <laughs> topic. Right. Yeah. So all, all that, let me, let me put it this way. If you want to find out your limits, get into a street fight. No, I'm kidding. If you want to find out your limits, you have to, <laughs> you, you have to be able to try and fail. I guess, right? Or at least try, if you're not failing, but at least you're trying consistently with that, whatever that light at the end of the tunnel is, with that in mind, with the goal in mind. Otherwise, otherwise you're pre-muscles David Goggins. Yeah, that's true. But um, you said something that made me think about One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, you know, mm-hmm. the, f- the film from 1975, where... It gets to the end, and Jack Nicholson is playing a character, and he's trying to get out of this insane asylum, us insane asylum, and he like picks up, I think it was the water fountain or something, and throws it at the window, that's like gated and barred or whatever, and the other people around him are like, "See, we knew it wouldn't work," and he's like, "Yeah, but at least I tried," and that's the thing that you're getting at is, unless you try, you'll never know. You could be the most prolific writer in the world, but if you've never put pen to paper, then you have no idea. Exactly. Same thing goes for for Lyndon, but Lyndon understands this. I think inherently, he just like, I've always wanted to be better. He set his sights toward ascension, but kept hitting roadblock after roadblock after roadblock. And this is, we talked about this in a previous episode. This is one of the reasons I love this series is because he doesn't just get to have what he's going after. The author, Will, Will makes him fight for this thing, literally to get better. And I realized it took us a hot minute to get around to like bringing Lyndon back up. But the, the fun contrast that we see with Lyndon and Yaren is that Yaren had a mentor to help her exceed her limitations and reach Ascension. But Lyndon has not, he's had to just fight for that little fruit that he stole in the first book and getting out of sacred Valley and then like bargaining with this, divine being who descended to like reverse time named serial and Lyndon is used to having to rely on other people which leads us to our next theme which is trust and relying on others and yaren is not familiar <laughs> with relying on no. anyone else she just does stuff herself w- what do you think slava about the contrast there between someone who has been forced to rely on others and trust other people probably against his own will like his family, we even see it with, with Lyndon's family when they eat the fruit and they're like dividing it up and they're like, well, he doesn't need it. He's worthless. It's like, well, but I went to go get it. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, I think I'm on Yaren's side. 
if there's a side to take because I've had to kind of raise myself and provide for myself very early on in my life. So I take Aaron's side again. Maybe that's a poor choice of words, but I understand her bit more because, you know, I have a hard time trusting people. Now, that doesn't mean that I can't tell a stranger something personal or I can't tell a coworker or an acquaintance or a friend anything about my life. I, I'm, I think I'm a pretty open book. But do I have confidence that this person is trustworthy or loyal? I'm always unsure. Not unsure to the point where I live in constant distrust and fear and uncertainty of people. I am confident, you know, in a lot of my relationships, including ours, I, I have confidence that it's a good relationship. We're friends. We're doing this podcast together. Mm -hmm. It's not like I wake up in the middle of a night in a cold sweat wondering if Jonathan's going to betray me somehow, you know, or, or do something, you know, do something that will betray trust or break our friendship. No. But I have a mm -hmm. hard time trusting people nonetheless, if that makes sense. It almost sounds like I'm contradicting myself. I don't think it's a contradiction. I think it's a paradox where I trust people. I'm more trusting than a lot of a lot of people I know who would say, hey, why'd you tell, you know, John about, you know, your family stuff? That's kind of private. I'm like, well, because no skin off my back. I can share my story of abuse to a person who might not be a close confidant because that's just a story. And I'm not going to give every sort of detail. That's called social cues. Mm -hmm. But I'm able to, I'm able to <laughs> share the fact that, yes, as a kid, I was abused. And that have no bearing whether or not I trust that person. And there's always context and yeah. definitions and situations. Well, and you've separated yourself between like information and the emotional attachment yeah. of information. Yeah. Right. Like trust is a highly individualized yes. thing. Trust is made up of reliability, credibility, and intimacy. And the the thing we really defend ourselves with is when we don't trust people, it's we're defending ourselves against intimacy and just like you brought up earlier, like boundaries, because we don't want to get hurt. And so like, well, if I trust this person, I, I'm opening myself up to get hurt, whether that's betrayal or broken trust or, you know, insert your thing, your negative piece of suffering. But with Yaren, I think Yaren is a great kind of mirror for you where she lost her whole family. And based on your story, it's like, well, you didn't really have a family either. You know, not no. really. And you have to survive on your own. And then you get into this big, bad world and you're just used to like not trusting people because it's like, well, they let you down anyway or they abuse you or whatever. So <laughs> and then like Will does this really wonderful thing where he pairs Yaren with Lyndon, who has always had to rely on other people. And like if Yaren leaves in this book, Lyndon doesn't really have a, a leg to mm -hmm. stand on. So it's just it's such a fun contrast yep. of, it is. of running these two things side by and side. As you were talking. This just came to me. There's been Lindens in my life. Lindens were placed in my life, sometimes for a couple of months, sometimes for a couple of days, sometimes it was just a conversation. But without all the prickly aspects of Yaren, when these people came into my life, somehow, by God's grace, I was able to, to be an encouragement. 
because I had to raise myself, because I had certain experiences, mm -hmm. I was able to, you know, maybe guide them is too strong a word. I don't want to overstate it. But there have been like people who were obviously, and if you were in that situation, you would know what I mean, because you would just see it play out, obviously weaker than me. Obviously, a lot more lost in the big bad world that you referenced a couple of seconds ago. And, mm -hmm. you know, I had to, oh, I didn't have to, but I was given the opportunity to kind of, uh, I don't know, encourage them is the only word I could come up with. Maybe mentor them in a, a little bit. This was not like, you know, a year long or multi-year or a lifelong anything. It was just people coming in and out of your life as you're working, coworkers or yeah, you know, people you will go to college with and you kind of strike up a conversation. But it just, I don't know, that, that's it. It just dawned on me. I'm like, there's that pairing up, it works out naturally. I think sometimes providence, mm -hmm. God will put people in your life and it works out that way. And I think, you know, God oversees all affairs of men, but sometimes you don't notice it because you're, you're down here, you're going through the motions, but a person will come into your life and you play the role of Yaren. And sometimes more mm -hmm. happily than she plays the role. That, that's fair. Do you think that Yaren's going to stick around? Like, she doesn't really gain anything from Lyndon. And, well, every relationship doesn't need to be value-based of, like, I'm only going to stick around if you owe me something. Or, yeah, owe me or, like, you benefit me somehow, right? I think she's going to stick around. I think underneath the prickly demeanor, she has a soft spot for Lyndon. And she's also alone. Yeah, that's true. As much as she doesn't trust people and is self-sufficient, she's a human, and humans need connection. So they'll be they'll be within her this innate desire to connect with people. And right now, with all her baggage, and we're not gonna have we don't have to dissect every little little thing, but because of who she is, I think Lyndon is the only person she can truly trust because he is weaker than her, mm -hmm. and she kind of has a soft <laughs> spot for him. If uh, I think, uh, I that's think fair. that's fair. Yeah, uh, she did lose her mentor, the Sword Sage, and we kind of pick her up with her as that's happening in the first book. So I was just curious on if you thought, you know, maybe she was going to run her own gambit because she's been alone for so long. I don't but... think so. I, I think if there's 12 books, the logical part of me going, if there's 12 books, that she has to be around for a few of them. It can be like, oh, it's Elle Smith, you know, she pieces out. But that's yeah. that's an assumption. But I think just reading her character over two books, reading the last few chapters, like what, 9 through 11, almost in 12, into 12, mm -hmm. just my feel for it is she's going to stick around. It just makes sense. And I'm reading it, again, as a reader who's enjoying it and then assessing it as somebody who is trying to dissect a book and the themes of it, and literature, and all that other fancy stuff, it wouldn't make sense for her to go off so quickly in the series. Now, something yep. can drive them yep. apart forcefully, but I don't think Yaren mm -hmm. leaves because they get in a tizzy, or she decides, you know what, Lyndon can, uh, can go kick rocks, I don't need this anymore. I don't think that happens at all. Yeah, I, I would also say that it, I think there's strong evidence that she doesn't leave, at least right away, because of the willingness she has to go do work for Fisher Gesha to bring back remnants and, you know, materials so that Lyndon can get stronger, so that she right. doesn't have to train him because she is in a place where 
She doesn't feel confident to train him because she's not a sword sage. She just knows that he's so far beneath her that she's like, I can teach you the basics, I guess. You know? Yeah, that's a good point. So That's a very good point. Yeah. Anyway, we are coming to time here, and we'll wind down here shortly because the talking about honor and dishonor, I think we'll save for the next episode if we can if we have time to get into it then because it's a that in and of itself is another long conversation yeah i think it's best to move it to the next episode because we can front load it on that theme discussion and then go into some of the other yeah. stuff this is a good place to end uh end our conversation mm-hmm. so question for you guys how do we decide that trust is hard to embrace with our relationships be that a commentary on cradle and Lyndon and Yaren? and Fisher Gesha or your lives as uh, as it stands. I know that sometimes it feels like Slav and I go off on side quests that are pseudo therapy, if you will, because we're just we're very human because we don't really have anything to prove. We're just kind of doing this as a fun exercise. So hit us in the comments. Why do we decide that trust is hard to embrace? Let us know. Thanks for joining us. Stay tuned for the next episode of side quest.